This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. A notice caught my eye recently out of Hillsdale College about a seminar the college held that is available in the form of a video series concerning, quote, the Great Reset, unquote. Almost two years ago to the day, I had a guest, old friend, former housemate, Charles Steele, the Herman and Susan Detweiler Chair in Economics at Hillsdale in Michigan, uh, on to discuss the topic and thought it high time we did it again because the Great Reset is at the center of international climate treaty negotiations, energy policies like the Green New Deal and the recently enacted and falsely labeled Inflation Reduction Act, and the push by corporate elites and deep state politicians and bureaucrats to replace profit as a motive with business with ESG mandates. I've known Charles for more than 25 years, having shared holidays, hunted and chopped wood with, and exchanged ideas with since my time at the Property and Environment Research Center in Bozeman, Montana. Besides teaching in the U.S., Charles has also taught economics in China and elsewhere overseas, so he's led an interesting life with varied experiences. Charles, thanks for being with us again. Thank you, Sterling. Great to be here. I am continuing to lead an interesting life, so it's not just in the past tense. (laughs) I have no doubt of that. I know you travel regularly to to Montana, and uh, you uh, run ultra marathons, which I still consider a particular form of madness, and uh, do all sorts of things. But uh, I think you're, the thing you enjoy most is probably being the chair of economics at Hillsdale. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> you 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 like all all uh, all uh, chairs I've ever met before. Love especially. Uh, faculty meetings and uh, paperwork and things like that. I'll tell you that our faculty meetings that I conduct are pretty good because I set a deadline on them and I say, we hit that deadline. I say, you guys have fun. I walk out the door. Um, <laughs> and the paperwork, yeah, okay, well, if uh, that's why I'm always trying to rec- – every time a student walks into my office, I try to recruit them to take over as department chair. <laughs> uh, and then they find out how much paperwork there is and it's, it's, it's hopeless. There you go. Well, Charles, before telling us what Hillsdale Seminar on the Great Reset discussed, first, for our audience who may not have heard of the Great Reset, the term, uh, know what it is, who's been put, uh, you know, tell us what it is and who's been pushing it. Sure. The Great Reset is uh, a name which is given to a set of proposals. In fact, it might even might even be better said to be sort of a, a set of ideas that are not necessarily fully fleshed in the proposal, but it results in proposals. Um, then this comes from the World Economic Forum. Uh, Klaus Schwab, of course, is the founder and the president, the head of the World Economic Forum. It's a group of an international group of very large corporations, billionaires, uh, governments, international agencies, things like this. Uh, and so it is, they think of themselves, of course, as being kind of the elite. These are the people that operate, that run the, the annual Davos Switzerland conference. So it's the Davos, uh, the Davos group. 
And uh, the Great Reset is an idea that they came up with, that Schwab promoted as, well, it's the following. Um, When the COVID lockdown, when the COVID uh, coronavirus um, began spreading and things went into lockdown, very quickly the World Economic Forum announced that when we come out of this, we need to have a great reset. It gives us an opportunity to recalibrate market systems, well, recalibrate capitalism, just kind of reset it. And they go well beyond just uh, talking about some, some kind of minor tweaks. Because when you read the material that they put up on their website, it's all publicly available. Uh, they talk some of the re- great reset proposals. Talk about ta- how it's this is the opportunity to change economic systems, government systems, social systems, culture. So it's really an idea for top-down restructuring of the of pretty much everything in human society. It sounds to me, uh, maybe I'm jaded. But it sounds to me a bit like warmed over socialism or authoritarianism. Well, it certainly, um, it certainly is. Um, when you say warmed over socialism, so as I say, it, the Great Reset is a, is a whole series of ideas, initiatives, proposals, things like this. And so when you go onto the website and read the materials, you'll find that people are debating over exactly the nature of what they should be. Um, and some have said, some of it says we should bring in that they think we should bring in more marks and things like this. And uh, uh, so in, in some sense, you might think of it as being bit, a little bit vague. On the other hand, if you look at what they actually ultimately propose, it really is just a top-down restructuring that puts elites into control of uh, – Essentially everything. So basically, it's and it's it's. Let me let me maybe say something to address socialism there. Okay. Because in principle, if you think of Marxism and communism, in principle they talk about the, you know empowering the proletariat and all this sort of thing. But in practice, what it always comes down to is empowering an elite, which makes you know the dictatorship of the proletariat. And then the claim is that will eventually wither away and we'll get to this. That's nothing withers away. That is the end state of communism is dictator, a small dictatorship run by elites. And that's basically what this comes to. So it's probably fair to say that in many respects, this is just warmed over communism. You know, but it's sort of funny because when you read some of the things they worry about, it's not clear to me that Marx worried about a lot of those things. <laughs> this is this is socialism with a real progressive slant face, you know, modern progressive slant face. Because right. I, I, I've read my marks, and I don't require, I don't re- recall a lot about uh, gender and sexual equity or uh, the environment, for instance. Just a few of the things that uh, Great Reset folks seem to be very up in the arms about. Um, uh, I don't, I don't recall Marx or. Uh, his uh, adherents, you know, uh, the Bolsheviks and the uh, North Koreans and uh, the Cubans and things like that. I don't recall them being overly taxed about some of those issues. Well, actually, let me let me say something about that because this is, uh, I think, important for the understanding of evolution of ideas. Um, Karl Marx emphasizes. Karl Marx actually does talk about those things. Actually, I'm not so sure, but I can't think of the environment. But thinking about the nature of the family, thinking about the nature of sex and sexuality, yeah. Marx does address those things. 
and he does it in kind of a rudimentary fashion. That doesn't his his main shtick that he's going to argue on is economics and the oppression, the alleged oppression of the worker, the proletariat. Right. right. But he has all the rest of that in there, and when Marxism eventually doesn't result in the revolution that he predicted, Marxists are left saying, what do we do now? Antonio Gramsci, the Italian Marxist, uh, said that Marx's problem was he emphasized economics too much and he should have done more of his, of his own, of Marx's work with culture and family and things like that. And Gramsci is the one who yeah. develops this idea of cultural Marxism. Yeah, there you and, go. Well, that, yeah, but that's, that's, that's Gramsci. It's it's his slant on the the originator, like you say. These things right. evolve over time, but for Marx, and maybe I'm wrong about Gramsci because I'm not really familiar with his work. Um, there were two types of things: people and resources, and resources were for use. Uh, humans were to put resources to use for the betterment of the proletariat. That's true to bring about the communist utopia, but there was no idea that. You would protect the environment for the environment's sake, that it had some moral standing uh, against the proletariat, for instance. I'll tell you my understanding of the more I read him, the more I think that all of the things that he talked about were excuses for his real purpose, which is that he hated capitalism. He hated the market system and he hated the bush, the middle class. And while he claims to be liberating, he's really a destroyer. And he thinks that way. Yeah. If you look at some, some of, there are, there is now some some work being done on 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 the very very early Marx, suggesting that he starts off on a really dark path and begins, um, you know, developing these kinds of ideas. But it is it's much more just a, a rejection of society than it is anything else. Yeah, it's a well, negative rather than a positive. Well, he lived off Engels' uh, wealth. He uh, bemoaned capitalism. Uh, that, that made that made his his leisure time at the uh, I believe the library in London possible. Yeah, uh, too, of course. Yeah, of course. But you anyway, know, these ideas, so, of course, are then picked up by the Frankfurt School and promoted, and and much of the new left comes from that. Yeah. But I think that this also those kinds of concerns have then been picked up by World Economic Forum, and that's the vehicle that they use to promote their ideas. Yeah, it's if it were something else, I think they might pick something else. Yeah, I was about to say, we're, we, and we'll get into that in a bit. So talk a little bit about Hillsdale Seminar, who spoke there, and in brief, uh, what they discussed. You know, what, what was the main message that came out of it? Sure. Hillsdale College, of course, is a private, independent, four-year college, and we do have some graduate programs as well, and uh, with a very much uh, freedom orientation. Um, when, I say, when I say independent, we take zero funds from government, none at all. And that means we're independent. We get to do what we want. We're, um, we're not beholden to the to follow government regulations, rules, and dictates um, as, as far as our, our educational content. So we put on these things called CCAs. It's the name is Center for Constructive Alternatives. And each year, one of those is devoted to economic topics. And we had one last year on the Great Reset. Great Reset. Um, had a number of speakers on it, but it was basically summarizing various aspects of the Great Reset ideas. And, uh, you know, so, so what were some of the ideas that were discussed? You know, what, what was the main message? 
the main message is that the Great Reset um, is this idea that comes from the World Economic Forum that it is a, 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 is truly a great a, a real threat to liberty, to freedom, things like this. We, Michael Rechtenwald uh, was was our opening speaker, and uh, he's an economist. He spoke on basically just defining what the Great Reset is and what the World Economic Forum is up to. Um, we had uh, the gentleman Vivek Ramaswamy, who runs a um, an investment fund, and he did a, did something on woke capitalism. You should probably mention that Klaus Schwab and his group in World Economic Forum have come up with something that they call stakeholder capitalism. <clears throat> Excuse me. The idea of that basically is that instead of being uh, instead of being uh, uh, motivated by profit, um, capitalist firms should be motivated by taking care of the various stakeholders. Well, who are, who are the stakeholders? Well, it is, of course, the investors and the owners, but it's also every, almost anyone else who might have some sort of a claim to be affected by, by uh, business operations or anything else. Um, so it really is a watering down of, uh, of for-profit enterprise. Um, and substituting goals, that, social goals. Uh, and Vivek Ramaswamy spoke on that, woke capitalism versus profit, and uh, what's wrong with this idea of stakeholder capitalism. Well, let's, let's, um, let's follow up on that yeah. for a bit, because, you know, someone might ask, what's wrong with developing new metrics to measure well-being and prosperity, such as those proposed by proponents of the Great Reset, particularly environment, social, and government's goals to replace prices, profits, and loss? Um, there, let me let me say there are two th- two fundamental things that I would say um, are problematic about this, and I should I'll, I'll make sure this is clear. Probably most of your listeners know about this, but uh, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. That's the new metrics that are being proposed and imposed on firms in lieu of or in addition to normal profit loss accounting. Now, profit and loss accounting is important. It's, a, it's the heart of business. It's the heart of capitalism, the heart of the free enterprise system, in that we take a, a firm takes resources, takes inputs, takes factors of production, uses them to produce output. If the output is more valuable than the input as reflected by market prices, then they're creating value. That's what profit means. If a firm earns profit, it was creating value for the buyers. That's a good thing. That's a desirable thing. That's the key. Let's let's stress that. Who it's creating profit for is the consumers, those who are purchasing the goods and services produced. Absolutely. And, of course, firms benefit as well. But every, it's a mutually beneficial – trade is mutually beneficial. Uh, it is the thing that lifts all boats. It, it's with the source of economic growth that benefits ultimately everyone in society. That's what the profit loss system really does. And I, I, I'll, I'll mention this since we've talked about communism already. The Soviet system that sought to abolish profit and loss was then, as a result, blind and they produced stuff that was worthless and they couldn't get the signal that you're making a mistake. So they did it over and over and over until they bankrupted their economy and fell apart. Yeah, now, but, you know, I, I, I just don't think people make the connection when they, when they, when they hear about 
whatever you might think of Jeff Bezos or um, uh, gosh, I'm Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or uh, you know Warren Buffett or you know any other wealthy wealthy man or woman the Walton family, whatever else you may think of their great wealth, they got that great wealth because they produced something that didn't benefit just one person, benefited millions and continues to benefit millions of people daily. You know, they're, they're all getting a little bit of the pie that, that these they guys, these companies have produced. The people you have named and there are problems with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, have nothing to do with the fact that they are wealthy. Right. It has to do with maybe an abuse of power or something like that. But creating wealth and becoming wealthy doing that, that's fair play. That's good. You have had benefited people and you're rewarded for it. And that's what the market system does. So during the introduction, I said the Great Reset is at the center of the push for ESG and for climate, energy, and equity policies. Was I wrong? Because, you know, it seems to me, you mentioned the Great Reset came out during COVID. Well, I've been fighting the climate wars uh, for a lot longer than two years. I wish I hadn't been. I wish it was over. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's, so it's a chicken-egg problem. It seems to me that I, I don't know if it's whether the people pushing the Great Reset have glommed on to climate change and environmental and social justice issues or if environmental and social justice issues just morphed into something bigger. What you know? What are your thoughts, and does it really matter? I will address that here in a second. Let me just say a little more about ESG and what's objectionable about it, and that's that it substitutes profit and loss, and we've discussed why that profit and loss is important. It substitutes other metrics by which businesses will be judged. Um, what's your envi- What's your carbon footprint? Uh, what is how many trees did you plant? Could be something that is is analyzed. Social. Uh, so, how many people of a very of uh, how many women do you hire? How many people of color? How many transgenders do you hire? Um, things like this could be would would fall into that governance. Uh, how do you how do you inf- how are you influenced by? Do you have worker representation on your board of directors? Things like any kind of a standard that has nothing to do with being productive, with taking resources and creating something more valuable. Uh, so that's actually instituting, it's actually importing central economic planning, the kind of thing that recommend, that wrecked the Soviet Union. You're putting a third party into decision making and rewarding businesses, not according to producing goods and services, but achieving social goals. There was a second thing I said that was objectionable about that. And that's that if, if we think that there are social changes that should occur using corporations to do that is not the proper that's not the proper role of a corporation this is something we're discussing right now within my department about how to address this but the role of a corporation really is to you have limited liability and that's so that you can assemble capital more easily and create valuable goods and services so you give them some protection there to use that to, to affect social change unelected corporations seems like a great abuse of power in addition, in addition, um, I guess what I look at it, and I say it's very particular kinds of social change. It's not just that they want open debate about issues. No, no, they've got a very particular kind of um, 
types of social changes and governance changes and, um, you know, basically things that are very certainly in many respects undemocratic, but also un, you know, we, we don't live in a democracy. I always hear them, oh, we got to protect democracy, even though they're doing everything they can to undermine it. But they, we're a constitutional republic. They don't think much of rights. And that includes property rights and uh, the right to make my own decisions about what I care about and what I don't care about and who I wish to associate with and who I don't wish to associate with and where I want to put my money and what I want to do with my money once I get it back. Um, it, it, it just seems to me and, – and these social mores can change, you know, you, and they're hard to – a lot of the metrics are hard to judge, you know, moving towards something. As opposed to producing a, a tangible, a, a tangible benefit, the the things that they they push for benefit some at the expense of others, rather than benefiting everybody uh, that the product or good flows from. I, I think that's right. I, I I will say there's one one thing where maybe I we just had this uh, yesterday. In, in fact, a uh, departmental meeting, and so this is economics and business professors sitting down. And we were discussing this. And one of the things that someone posed this question, he says, well, suppose that it was just our values that were being imposed through the CSG stuff. I think we'd still be against it because the idea that businesses should be imposing values top down on people or that anybody should be imposing things top down is just not just not right. It's not a free system. Now, I think it's clear that this kind of an approach lends itself more to socialist Things that we would call socialist and authoritarian, but even if they were, even if we were mandating, if if they were talking about mandating things that we like, I think we would not like like this way to do it. it well, much I, better to be ways of an approach. Well, sure, sure. Yeah, you know, I, I want corporations to focus on making yeah. a profit and returning it to their owners. That's what I, that's what it, they're, they're set up to do, uh, and not. Uh, pursue political goals. Now, you can set up a corporation to do that. As long as you're ex- explicit about it, this is what I'm going to do. You can set up stock funds. I've got no problem with green stock funds, with social justice st- stock funds, if that's what they want to do, so long as they're upfront about it. But what I do have the problem with is them trying to make everybody toe that same line. And right. This is quite different. This is a, a, di- yeah. a different thing because this is measuring everybody according to that. Um, interestingly enough, this is a, a bit of a side, but uh, there was just a study that was done. It appears, that, and I think Hartland's familiar with this, but it appears that um, th- this is Morningstar that came out with this, um, that that the uh, environmental, uh, the, that the green, uh, green uh, hedge fund, or not hedge funds, but investment funds, Actually, turn out to have a worse, a, a worse environmental record than the things that are not in that. Strangely enough, not yeah. strange, but yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it depends on how you measure the environmental thing. It, no, excuse me, Winchester. <laughs> I was having, that was an agree, a voice of agreement. I think. Yeah, yeah. She's I, I she's she's chiming exactly. in. That was that was. I don't like ESG uh, in dog language. So um, it's also it's it's sort of odd. I mean, not long ago, uh, Elon Musk was sort of the darling 
of the environmental left because he was, you know, he, he, he manages, uh, he created the largest electric car company. So he's reducing emissions because that's the most important goal for a lot of environmentalists. Um, but then he tries to take over Twitter and suddenly his ESG rating goes way, way down because he says some things politically, uh, that, that don't align with, with, with the social or governance goals. You know, he says, well, we got to make a profit and we're still going to have to have oil and gas for some time. And, you know, uh, suddenly it doesn't matter what his company's doing. It, it, the leaders saying something wrong downgrades the company. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's crazy. He, he, in fact, in fact, Tesla got a worse score, I think, than ExxonMobil. And they hate ExxonMobil. <laughs> they hate oil and gas production. But suddenly, uh, he, from, on an ESG basis, Tesla, the electric car company, was ranked, and that tells you just how, um, uh, um, God, I'm, I'm having a senior moment here. I want to say relativistic, but that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, it, it, basically, how this is just pushed by, some group of people's ideas about what the world should look like. It, mm-hmm. It's it's relative to some particular group of people's ideas, not a, a what you know what's good for the world. Well, if you read, so Klaus Schwab has written a number of books on this, but if you read his book on the Great Reset, he says that he, he writes it as if this is just what is happening, and he's responding to it. But really, it's a blueprint for how. The World Economic Forum or members of it uh, think the world should be organized. If you follow what they're saying, they say that this is how the world should and will be organized, and we're going to we're going to impose this. This is what the reset is a, is about, and we can do it through uh, ESG accounting and and through other kinds of initiatives that are proposed or thought about, such as moving towards um, Christine Lagarde, who's the head of the uh, European Central Bank uh, and is involved in this, has said that, yes, central banks around the world need to develop their own, um, you know, their own, um, there wouldn't be a a cryptocurrency, but a digital currency. Ah, yes. And that everybody will have uh, a digital bank account. Um, Then there's discussion about how that would be operated. Essentially what it is, um, well, another one is universal universal biometric IDs, which has been proposed, those could be linked to your account, uh, to your uh, to your digital currency account, but essentially every bit of spending is then tracked, everything is controlled. Everything you do is is, is controlled. And of course, I, uh, when I spoke at the Great Reset Conference that we had, I was one of the faculty uh, discussants, and I pointed out that... Uh, People who are proposing these uh, digital IDs for everyone have also pointed out that they could be put into you with a microchip. And that not only that, it could be linked to a payment system, and it's been experimented with in Sweden. Swedes have lined up, some Swedes have lined up to be microchipped, and I had a, had a photograph of a Swede paying for his uh, train fare on a subway or, or, or tra- commuter train, and they just scan your hand. Mm. Sounds great, huh? Yeah, well, you can you can get on the computer train easy, but they can also dock your pay if they don't like uh, what you're doing when you're not on the train. 
uh, yeah. suddenly your bank account uh, is at zero because you uh, you said the wrong thing at a cafe or something. That's the, yeah. you know your what you can do. Credit with score wasn't high yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, there's a there's a great episode of a show called Black Mirror where that uh, that was uh, that was explored. It's it was pretty scary. This woman lost her social credit score, her, her social credit rating, and suddenly she couldn't get a house or anything. Uh, it's amazing. Anyway, well, it's, fr- it's truly frightening. That's what it is all the time. That does happen now in China, where this has been uh, in People's Republic of China, where this has been instituted. And uh, one of the things that Bill Gates has has said is that in response to what Christine Lagarde had said, that everybody could have a uh, an account, an account with a central bank will handle finance that way with a digital currency. And, and Gates says, well, it'll be a very important thing that people know who they're trading with so they know what they're, how honest they are. That's a social credit score. Mm. And not only that, it can be put into an ID that everybody has and says, Gates, it's linked to your vaccination status. How convenient. If you, yeah. read, if you read, pay attention to some of the things that they say at the World Economic Forum Davos meetings, it's astonishing what they will talk about. Well, you know, um, just stamp it on, stamp it on our foreheads and, and, uh, absolutely developing drugs that will also have a, an electronic indicator in them so that you can be monitored so they can make certain that they know that you're taking the drugs that they told you you will take. Soma. It reminds me of Soma from Brave New World. So well, you're thinking, all right, he's a philosopher who speaks for, who works for Klaus Schwab and has spoken there and has said that a number, that, that, that most people are now becoming obsolete. They don't, they're not going to be valuable. Valuable for whom? Uh, a man is, yeah. each person is an end in themselves, not a means, but he speaks as if people are means to the ends of the world. They're not valuable. Most of the people in the world aren't valuable anymore. And he says, what do we do? Well, sounds like maybe he proposes a possibility of universal basic income, video games, and drugs. Yeah, that does sound like uh, uh, Brave Huxley's Brave New World. And it sounds a lot like Hegelianism. You know, it's like you're part of a social organism and you're only important to the extent that you serve that organism. There you are. So, Charles, if you can make one point. What's the most important point you'd like us to take away from our discussion today about the Great Reset? I would think that the most important thing is that people follow what this is and take it seriously. If you type into your, uh, let's not use Google, type into your <laughs> duck, uh, duck, go. search on, yeah, yeah get, get onto uh, the, the World Economic Forum website and you can subscribe to their weekly email newsletter. It comes out on Fridays. Read what they're, they'll tell you what, what they're up to. And it's important that people take this seriously because it's extremely dangerous stuff. And I guess the second thing I would say is two points. Um, but I'm an economist. For econometrics, two is pretty close to one. Uh, the second thing I would say is absolutely do not go along with this. Be ungovernable from the standpoint of what the World Economic Forum and these people want to do. It is a very dangerous thing. Well, I'm going to put in a plug for two other sites. I'm going to put in a plug for Hillsdale's series, seminar series, and for Heartland's Great Reset site, because we've been doing this for more than two years now. We've been covering this. We have a whole website, Stopping Socialism. A portion of that website is called Great Reset that's devoted just to that. 
And I hope every our audience will go and uh, read some of the papers that are there. Or ours, if you want to do it, I just just type in CCA Roman numeral two, and then Great Reset, and it should pop up. There you go, Charles. It's always good to talk to you. I want to thank you on behalf of my and myself and our listeners. Thank you, sir. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Harlan's website as we follow the work of Charles Steele and other researchers' efforts at Hillsdale College, and as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. In addition, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of liberty and free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye. <music>